We're going for it. We're going. We're doing it. We're doing it. It's happening. It's all happening right now. That's the energy it's, I'm trying to bring in. It, it's like the Star Wars prequels of Shakespeare movies. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Here we go now. Patrons. Hello, gentles all. Welcome to What You Will. A tedious and brief Shakespeare podcast. I'm Charlotte Aline. And I'm Danielle Cohn. And today we're going to talk about Anonymous. Anonymous. Danielle, this isn't a Shakespeare play. No, it is a period drama <laughs> from 2011, directed by Roland Emmerich and written by John Orloff. <laughs> Uh, it is a, a fictionalized version. Very of, fictionalized. Uh, the life of the Duke of Oxford and basically is about how Shakespeare was a dumb asshole who didn't write any of his plays. Oh, this movie is such a gift. It's one of those gifts that you hope came with a receipt. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, this is my fault that we watched this, so I'm sorry. I hadn't seen it before. I had only seen ads for it and I knew the twist. So, um... I thought, you know, as we were, if we just do one play per ep- episode, every two episodes, however we do this podcast, we're going to run straight out of Shakespeare plays. Which is why we brought you some fun witchy stuff in, in yeah. October. So, and sometimes we'll be covering, like in this episode, things that are tangentially related to Shakespeare. Yeah, as we continue to just kind of like learn and explore about the Shakespeare expanded universe, um, we've come across the the... Classic Undis- film. Undiscovered Gem Anonymous, uh, which is an Oxfordian <laughs> film. Uh, so I guess we should start with the Oxford authorship theory and then give you a cute little plot synopsis, which and I feel like might end up being the bulk of this episode. It's true, because uh, <laughs> we watched it last does night. Does this movie have plot? Uh, yes. Technically. A lot of it. So much. So much plot. Can you follow it? Maybe. Um, yeah, we, uh, this is behind the curtain peak for all of you keeping score at home about when we record our episodes, but we were taught, we interviewed, uh, my mom and Margaret Cullen last night, and, uh, I mentioned to her that we were going home to watch a Roland Emmerich film, and she is, uh, less than pleased that she was not in the sequel to Independence Day because she was in the original. So I feel like it's okay that we're dragging Roland Emmerich a little bit in this podcast. Roland, um... If you're listening. If you're listening, it's all in good fun. You should have cast Margaret in the sequel to Independence Day. And also, Oxford didn't write Shakespeare. Come on, guys. Okay, So so this is something that people really believe. Which is Um, part of why we wanted to cover it. Because we've made allusions to Oxfordians in the past, and now you're going to know what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There are, uh, I'm thinking, I mean, I think it's it's kind of like par for the course that with any major historical figure, a bunch of conspiracy theories crop up about them. And like, I don't have a problem with the people who want to like, you know, take guesses about who was Shakespeare sleeping with or like drawing weird uh, connections between stuff that happens in his personal life and his plays. Like, that's all in good fun. But there are a lot of people who think that William Shakespeare didn't write Shakespeare, which kind of... 
Why? Yeah, because <laughs> when I first heard about these theories, the idea that um, perhaps Shakespeare was multiple people and that yeah. more than one person wrote his plays, I'm sure we'll cover that in more detail on the pod another day. Yeah. Um, that one, even though it's not my personal belief, that one makes sense to me because I think just like the idea of genius is intimidating to people. The idea that one person could have written all of these things, I think mm-hmm. people have trouble with. Although, you know, once you start reading them and seeing all their similarities, it's sort of hard like, to be like, mm, he, it does he feel some like of the these same guy. A few times. This character is the same character. There's a, every play's got a groomio, kind of a fun <laughs> best friend. Every play's got like a sad clown. Yeah, and even stylistically. Again, we'll get to that later. But but so that makes sense to me. That That's coming yeah. from a place of how could this one person have changed you know english Um, forever however oxfordians (laughs) have a different the two the two probably like biggest someone else wrote shakespeare theories are the francis bacon one which is mostly about like anagrams like they found some like if you re-spell some fun words in shakespeare it spells out like i am francis bacon or something um yeah it's kind of like tom riddle energy which like is stupid but like all right, if you want to just kind of a national treasure it up, I guess you can do that. Is that what that movie is called? No. You are yes. thinking of National Treasure. With Nick Cage. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, that's got, like, some fun tinfoil hat Nick Cage energy in, like, a cute way. But the Oxfordian theory, so the Earl of Oxford is just, like, a, a rich guy who lived contemporary to Shakespeare. He was an earl. Um, his real name was Edward de Vere. Uh, according to this movie. According to this movie. <laughs> um, and he, uh, he, he was a big patron of the arts. Um, and so people have linked him to Shakespeare mostly just because he seemed like a cool rich guy. And people don't think that Shakespeare could have written Shakespeare's plays because he was a poor. Exactly. And poor can't do no writing. And so I think that that's sort of what's frustrating about this particular theory (laughs) is it just sort of dripping in classism uh, as the movie is which we'll get to in a minute um because yeah yeah shakespeare had an eighth grade education which at the time would have included like latin and greek and greek mythology and the bible so he would have been like he he could read he would have been set up to read right yeah he would have yeah and also um you know uh, there are so many really clear just we have a lot of like documentation of people talking about Shakespeare writing the plays of uh, Shakespeare's son Hamnet died just before he wrote Hamlet. Like there, there are a lot of really clear links with Shakespeare's life and the order in which he wrote the plays. And even like, again, we love Shakespeare on, on this podcast. He is our, our lovely dad or whatever, but also not every play he wrote was a banger guys. No. And especially when you track them from earliest to latest, you yeah. can see him grow as a writer. You really can. Um, um, and not to say that a, a rich person also couldn't grow as a writer, but there is no reason inherently that Shakespeare couldn't also have grown. Also, he was an actor. Yeah. Um, and you, a lot of times, I think, in the arts, um, you grow from doing. Um, so that's also well, just like a piece yeah, of it. Like another, one of the uh, major, so the major like, points of connection that people make between the Earl of Oxford and writing Shakespeare is that one, he liked plays. Cool. Two, um, he, Me too. I he, wrote lived, Shakespeare. he lived in Italy for a while and people are like, there's no way that Shakespeare could have known about Italy unless he went there. Uh, even though both Shakespeare and Ben Jonson, who is also in this movie, uh, Ben Jonson was another uh, contemporary playwright of Shakespeare's. He was considerably like considered a better playwright in his time and was also wealthier and more educated than Shakespeare. Um, and Shakespeare was considered a little more like pop 
music to Ben Johnson's classical. Um, but uh, yeah, they both like are on record as thanking this one Italian scholar for like giving them info about Italy to use in their place. So like he just did research. Yeah. And also he got a lot of things wrong. Yeah. Also, like, there's nothing about the two gentlemen of Verona that makes you go, oh, that guy definitely he went to knows Italy. Italy. This is so Italian. Um, yeah. So, and those that's kind of it for people's link. Like, also, Oxford died before several of Shakespeare's plays came out, which the movie addresses. And I think we should save the other conspiracy theories to reveal as we discuss the plot. Because Great. they get real fun. So Anonymous opens, um, and we're in New York City in the year 2011, and we go to a Broadway theater, and the marquee says Anonymous. Oh, by the way, spoilers for Anonymous. Oh yeah, basically, we're gonna spoil. If you want to watch it, watch it. I don't. I couldn't tell you why you would, but we're gonna spoil (laughs) every piece of it. It's like almost a fun bad movie, but it's a little too boring to be a true fun bad movie. So if you're like. I guess if you're a hardcore Oxfordian, I can't stop you from watching it. But if you like Shakespeare, I don't even know that this is the well, best again, bad we Shakespeare were like, movie. We, were, we genuinely were like, who is this for? Because if you love Shakespeare, you're you, already you're mad. And if you don't love Shakespeare, you don't care about this movie. Yeah. So I guess it's for people who like period <laughs> dramas and don't care about the content. It's for Oxfordians. Even like the Queen, El- I mean, we'll get there, but the Queen Elizabeth portrayal Ooh. made me probably madder than anything this else. This movie in the film. hates poor. Sorry. It hates poor actors and women and Shakespeare. Yeah. Um, and so also, so okay, so we go we go to the yeah. Maki Anonymous. Again, we'd never seen this, so I was taking down quotes as we watched it, and it, it opened on New York and Charlotte went this isn't old England I think- and then it panned to the thing that said anonymous and she went oh wait this is the best beginning of a movie <laughs> I know we start not in merry old England um, and then we open on this Broadway play that seems to be a one man play Derek, also, Derek Jacoby. Jacoby, Jacoby is in it Derek Jacoby and Mark Rylance are trapped in, in this, this movie, movie and you can't save them. And that's where the real dramatic tension comes from. He's going, <laughs> guys, guys, get out, get out. <laughs> He's watching sweet Derek Jacoby and sweet Mark Rylance. Oh, there we go. It's the beeping of it's our the kitchen. Beeping. It's charming. We're charming. It's part of the podcast. It's one of our beloved segments. Yeah. His, um, one day we'll make a segment out of it. It'll be like a thing or like when it beeps, we do a thing. An interview with our co- Oh, um, that's fun. That's fun. We'll think beeps, of a game. Switch. Chairs. Um, um, yeah, so Derek Jacoby is talking to... It's a one-man show of Derek Jacoby standing with an umbrella on an is, empty stage. That is the... Can I spoil the end right now? Yes. Right here at the beginning? Yes. Because the end is the best part of the movie. Because So this play... <laughs> I mean, this movie, there's a ton movie. of like flashbacks and flashboards and blah, 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 blah. But basically the whole thing takes place once he starts talking in Old England. <laughs> but then in the last like two minutes, it comes back to the modern day. Yeah. So the Derek Jacoby can give Jacoby whatever his name is i've always said it jacoby i apologize to derek if it's jacoby so derek gives us his last few lines and then he turns around he exits the curtains close there are no applause applause. and the rest of the movie they roll the credits over (laughs) just b-roll of people leaving the theater silently leaving the theoretically this entire broadway show has been just derek telling us this story with nothing else happening and it was so bad that no one clapped and that everyone left the theater in utter silence so 
I guess the only way that the movie Anonymous could like, be worse is if it was a Broadway one-man show. I feel like Roland, it was like one of those moments of like Roland Emmerich's like deep inside him somewhere was a little voice that was just like trying to, of his, his reason, trying to get out. And the way that manifests is just, he can't even bring himself to have the audience applaud in his movie that he made. Anyway, so the framing device is that Derek Jacobi is telling us the plot of Anonymous as a one-man show, which... I mean, would I would I have rather seen that than the movie? I think so. I, um, I think no. I, <laughs> and I so think then, that the only way it could be worse <laughs> is if it was that. So then we go finally to Merry Old England. Um, and this Danielle is the Wikipedia in front of, page in front of her. I'm flying solo. I'm, I'm, I'm just doing I this have, in case because there are so many no, names. It's good. And even as we were watching it, we were like, wait, who is that? Someone guy? needs to hold us Who's accountable. Who's long curly hair blonde um, guy? I, I choose to, to just kind of like go uh, where, where my where my I'll, body wants me to with this. Yes, I'm not sure I will actually look at any of this Wikipedia. It's mostly so that I can quote the makers yeah. of it mm-hmm. as we try to justify mm-hmm. what happened. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so what happened here? So we get the Earl of Oxford, who's played by someone. I don't know. I didn't look Lucius at Malfoy. He look, well, he's not got, actually, not actually. Vibe. He's got a Lucius Malfoy vibe. He's wearing like a lot of eyeliner and he's blonde. And, it's, and mean. And mean. Really, this movie is like someone who watches Harry Potter and is like, that poor Lucius Malfoy has to deal with these nasty bratty children. <laughs> it's true. It's also one of those things where it's like, the movie starts and you're like, well, he's our protagonist. We're supposed yeah. to like him. And then I think three quarters of the way through, they were like, no, we're going to make everyone complicated. Everyone's bad. But by then it's too late. We hate everyone except for Shakespeare. LOL. The, still yeah, we'll get to it. But they tr- this is a movie that argues that the, the man, William Shakespeare, was just a drunk playboy actor who tried to... Uh, trick the earl or like a blackmail the earl for more money and to credit for all these plays he didn't write and he is still by far the most charismatic character um anyway so the earl he's going to a play it's unclear what play it, i think it's a ben johnson play um with this well, long no, 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 no. it opens with ben johnson running from oh you're right you're right from like troops uh, and like he's ben johnson gets arrested there's like fire everywhere <laughs> and, the, and the globe and is getting punched down. in the face yes. a lot and again direct quote from charlotte was poor ben johnson he didn't ask to be part of this narrative he didn't i mean like taylor swift i would like to be excluded from this narrative ben johnson just wanted to write plays and be a boring stuffy old guy he was friends with Shakespeare, but he like kind of clowned on Shakespeare a lot for Shakespeare being less educated than he was. Um, but anyway, so Ben Johnson has like stolen this manuscript and he's being like, they're torturing him and like slapping him and being like, who wrote this manuscript or something? Unclear what they wanted from him or like, where is the manuscript? Yeah, I think they want to know where it is. Yeah. We watch him uh-huh. hide it in like a trunk. It, yeah. And then he's like, I'll birds. never tell you. And you're like, He's okay. like, I'm a playwright. I've been arrested before. And I turned to Charlotte. And I was like, you're a playwright. Have you been arrested before? Is that a thing that happens? I know. I, I think I'm doing it wrong because I've never run through a burning building holding a rich person's manuscript. Um, oh, so then we get the flashbacks in this movie are unhinged. Linear There's time. So many. We don't know her. <laughs> um, yeah. So, okay. Then we go to the Earl of Oxford, Edward. Everyone has, like, five names, and almost none of them are ever said. Mm-hmm. And he and a long-haired guy who turned out to be the Earl of Southampton. We think so. We think so. We're pretty His sure. His name was, like... I can Google that. Robert? I think it was. No, I, I'm pretty sure it was. One of he's his many... There, he's there also, and he's, like... Isn't he, like, bringing 
Edward to the play and he's like, you'll never believe this. It's a newfangled thing called a play or something. And Edward is like, hmm, interesting. It's bizarre. Basically, they watch this Ben Johnson play. <laughs> they watch Ben Johnson play. And I think what, what... And then there's another flashback on top of it where... Oh, no, this is the first flashback. <laughs> where this is the Ben Johnson play. Yeah. It's a comedy that yeah. gets broken up by the police, by Scotland Oh, Yard. yeah. Um, Unclear why that happens, but it well, just happens. it is later because it's then implied later that Marlowe is jealous of everyone and he's just calling the police on everyone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So that's how that mystery gets wrapped up. Basically, it's also the idea here is that playwrights are very territorial and only if they ever see another playwright be good. They call the fucking police. Try to get them murdered. This this is a movie, I mean, like. It's Broadway on fucking steroids. There can only be one good. It's by way of the Highlander. There can only be one. This movie genuinely hates, I mean, they hate. Pours everyone? The, they hate everyone unless you're a rich, hot murderer. Um, but they hate poor... Well, they also hate the queen. So if you're a rich... If you're an earl. Basically, if you're a blonde, male, straight earl, you are good and righteous. And Because there are three of those in the movie and everyone else is a terrible, like, disease-ridden mongrel of a person. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So the, the police show... The, like, Gestapo of Merry Old England show up and, like, break up... The play. And he's like, why? It's a comedy. It's a comedy. Yeah. And so Earl of Oxford, our, our Lucius Malfoy looking hero, is like, oh, interesting. I think what we're supposed to understand that from that is that he sees that plays have political power, but it was very unclear. No, I think it's even more than that. It's that he sees that Ben Johnson is arrested because then he springs him um, from yeah. jail. Oh, he yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Opportunity. okay. So he, pay, he pays yeah. Ben Johnson's bail. And has him come to his, like, grand mansion, of which we only ever see, like, the hedge maze. Yeah, there's a lot of hedge mazes happening. Um, so, it, yeah. I was waiting for, like, a chase scene through the hedge maze, and it never happened. We were was waiting for a lot of things that never <laughs> happened. So, and uh, the Earl of Oxford is like, Ben Johnson, right? You're a playwright? And so he asks Ben Johnson, who was, yeah, like, a, a slightly more high-class playwright than Shakes, than the real Shakespeare, but also, like more of a poor than an earl he asks him to pretend that the earl's plays are his own for money because the earl is too rich and fancy to write plays yeah it's like heavily implied that it would be so embarrassing not implied said multiple times (laughs) over the course of the movie that like he couldn't, he's bringing disgrace and dishonor. Honestly, it's big Mrs. Maisel vibes where like <laughs> Mrs. Maisel's mom is so embarrassed that yeah. her, her daughter's doing comedy yeah. that she just get drunk. Yeah. It's that, except at least with Mrs. Maisel, I get it. She's like making at dick least, jokes like, and she's an unmarried woman in the 50s. And at but, least like, she has like some wit and verve and panache. Whereas <laughs> this is like, nobody ever expresses what would be so bad if... It were known that he was writing plays. There is at no point are there any consequences presented. Very clear that the queen fucking loves plays. Yeah. Okay. So I think the next scene we uh, and it takes it takes like a thousand hours for any character to be established, but it comes out that Edward the Duke, the Earl of Oxford, is married. To his horrible wife, who they keep treating her like, can you believe he has to marry this horrible witch of a woman because she has brown hair? Yeah, she's just like brown haired and doesn't, she looks shy. She's just like kind of shy and has brown hair. And And then by the end of it, she like sort of looks very severe in sort of a pilgrimy way. But I'm like, I mean, if I was married to this guy, I'd be exhausted too. Jesus. So she's the, 
the daughter of the this like uh, Jafar figure, uh, Cecil. <laughs> yes, Rasputin. Rasputin esque uh, Cecil guy who is like has the queen's ear and he hates plays. But then we flash back. <laughs> it's to be like, like why? it's like Footloose. If the plot of Footloose was like a billionaire wants to dance but is too embarrassed so he pays some kids to dance for him. <laughs> exactly. Um so then simultaneous again I don't remember which one comes first but basically Ben Johnson is grappling yeah. with should he yeah. take the money and do the plays yeah. but he's got artistic integrity and he wants to be his own playwright which right. is also like I get it. But it's presented as like how dare Ben Johnson have this stupid moral quandary. Exactly. He should just take the money. And also that the Earl of Oxford is so confident. He's like Oh, I no, these will make you the most famous and popular playwright of all time. Also, he just has all of the plays like on a shelf. Like, he's already written every Shakespeare play. Except for Richard the Third. Except for Richard the Third. And they're all just on a shelf and it's like And Lear, I think. Yeah. But, yeah. But it's like, oh, so sorry, so you just wrote like, you know, Macbeth, which is a very much a play that's in response to King James taking the throne, like just just randomly, and like, you know, you just wrote like two gentlemen of Verona. And you're like, this is the best play of all time. Yeah, so it's, it's again, in terms of, like, genuine problems with this movie, beyond it being about the Oxfordians, it's, like, the idea that at the very beginning, he's like, I know I'm a genius, and there's no point where that's questioned, because we all know that Shakespeare's a genius. And then they try to have this, like, very, spoiler, but dramatic scene at the end, where, like, he's on his deathbed, and Ben Johnson comes up to him, and, and he's like... You never told me what you thought of my plays. <laughs> and Ben Johnson's like, they're genius. They're Shakespeare. Um, and he's like, good, now I can die. Anyway, so we're back at the beginning of the film. So Ben Johnson's like, I want to be my own playwright. What yeah. do I do? And Shakespeare, who's been established as like a lovable rascal, is like, well, I'm a drunk and an actor. Yeah. I'll take credit for it. Yeah. Like, if they'll pay me, I don't, I literally, I have yeah, no name to sell. Literally, Ben Johnson's like, I don't want to disattach my reputation. Shakespeare's like, I don't give a fuck about my reputation. You can do it to me. And then we're supposed to be like, how dare you, Shakespeare? Because then we basically watch Ben Johnson be driven like mad with jealousy yeah. along with every other playwright, but particularly Ben Johnson because he knows that Shakespeare can't even write his own name. But it's like, my guy, you were offered these. Yeah. You chose <laughs> to say no. Them. You can't be mad now that he's like, it's working out for him. If you like he did you a solid. Ring on it. So that's happening. And then meanwhile, also, we meet, we, the queen. we meet the queen. And the first flashback of the queen is like... Played by Vanessa Redgrave. Wait, can I read you this wild quote she said about please, it? Please, please She commented... Do. It's very interesting, the fractures in this extraordinary creature. I only hope that I've been able to respond to Roland in his script sufficiently to be able to give, uh, in, to be able to just give a little glimpse of this fracturing, this black hole with shafts of brief sunlight. <laughs> so nobody deserves so, Vanessa Redgrave. She's doing her own she's play. She's trying. Clearly, the direction she's been given is the queen is a senile old and because she is old and lady and not hot anymore she's useless to everybody uh, we get lots of flashbacks where she's hot in the past um and that's all she does is be hot is be hot and, and like scream plays. about boys um yeah but so the queen like someone gifts her a play also who did that well it, so when she's old she gets gifted a play and I think we're supposed to believe that it's later on anyway, realize that it's Oxford being yeah. like, hey, I'm back, which is weird because he didn't go anywhere. But I think yeah. it's that his his mean dad-in-law Jafar yeah. was yeah. like, 
part part of a deal that they make later in the movie is he's like, you can never come back to court. Yeah. So I think that him gifting the play is him being like, hey, my father-in-law is dead now. I'm totally coming back to court. And she kind of gets that. But also she's senile because she starts like undoing her corset, which yeah. is never explained. <laughs> she's watching the play and she starts just stripping. And I think we're supposed to be like, oh, the queen is crazy or she's so sexually attracted to the Earl of Oxford that even watching his play gets her all hot and bothered. I think it's like both, but it's like in her senility, she's going to then Perhaps the most offensive portrait of Queen Elizabeth ever ever put to screen. Of all time. And that's including Six, where she's just like, fuck it, I want to have fun. Um, I love Six, don't get me wrong. But anyway. Oh no, that's Anne Boleyn. That's Anne Boleyn. Sorry, that's that's Anne Boleyn, but still. Sorry, I will agree, though, my review of Anonymous (laughs) is that Six's portrayal of Anne Boleyn is not as feminist as they think it is. But a very Shots fun bop. fired, Six. Yeah, yeah no, very fun a bop. A fun bop. I'm, I'm, I'm a fan. I'm not here to feud with Six. No, it's I'm, a fun... I'm, I'm here for Six. Anonymous is all I've come for. Um, <laughs> but, so so anyway, I think that, so we see in the present, which is still the past, and she's old, someone gifted her a play. <laughs> which is the double past because this is all a story being told by Derek Jacobi. But someone gifted her a play and it's basically Midsummer, and then yeah. we flash way back yeah. to like 30 years before when that when she hot. was young and hot and someone gifted her Midsummer, and we're like oh so Midsummer's been done before so she watches the whole play she loves it and she goes to say hello to the actors and this young boy who's playing Puck who looks like he's 13 and then starts to talk and you're like I guess he's supposed to be like 16 or 18 Big so that this isn't creepy Anakin Padme vibes yeah is basically like no I wrote it and it's brilliant so we're supposed to believe that the Earl of Oxford wrote Midsummer as his first play at the age of 13 so we're supposed to believe because he wrote all of Shakespeare's plays according uh, to Roland Emmerich's diseased mind and John Orloff who's the screenwriter sorry uh sorry John but right is that his name John something yeah Someone John Orloff. Orloff um so Olaf he, the snowman he wrote Midsummer, and then later he was like and now comedy of errors like it's just Shakespeare's plays like yeah there's some debate over the chronology but everyone's pretty agreed on like all the kind of squirrely, bad, mediocre ones came first. Then there were all the bangers in the middle. And then kind of the more like... Weird ones at the end. The weird, experimental, like, thoughtful old man ones came at the end. It's like... It's not... It's not that weird a chronology. It, whatever. It's bonkers. Um, anyway, so, so she's like, oh, I'm so sexually attracted hot to this for child. This child. Uh, and then we're oh. back to the middle future, which again is confusing because it's all played by different actors because they're aging. Yeah. Um, where he is like a young bastard or a young ward or whatever. We're not he, sure what... Well, he so doesn't know what happened to his he, parents. No, he di- No, his dad died. Oh, because he was the Earl of... He was the Earl of Oxford. Yes. And the Papa Earl of Oxford died. W- women don't matter, so we never know about his mother. And so he's taken in by Jafar, the Cecil family. Um, and I genuinely... The way it was... The framing of... This movie, again, it, this is a person who is rooting for the Malfoys. Because he's like a blonde hot guy. And he's taken in by this family where they all like wear black and have dark brown hair. So we know that they're evil. And there's, the daughter is just kind of mousy, and I guess we're supposed to hate her because he gets forced to marry her later. And then there's, like, a little son who grows up to be a character who, in the last ten minutes of the movie, they assert was hunchbacked the whole time. Which we did not notice. And then Which he, he, was he just got kind of progressively like more hunchbacked yes! in those ten minutes. It was, like, an exponential also, increase of hunchbackedness. It, again, this movie has, like, medieval morals in terms of like well yes of course if you have a minor spinal deformity you're a bad person that's how it works it's it's so offensive to everyone yes. and everything to everyone and everything anyway so they take him in and they're like here are all of your tutors yeah. and he's like where is poetry 
And they're like, we hate poetry. <laughs> you cannot dance in this house. Yes, yeah, so it's crazy. And then we basically watch him grow up. And this is the moment where the movie really lost me, in case it sounds like I wasn't already lost. Yeah. Um, is that he's like writing poetry and everyone's mad about it. And then he goes into his room and sees that a person is... Is, has, or we see that Wait, someone is trying to steal. Sir, the, right before that, though, oh, no, the, this little, was the, moment. the little boy. So there's a little boy who grows up to be the guy who they is tell us is, is hunchbacked, even though he's never hunchbacked. Um, he's like a Richard III character. He's the son of Jafar. Don't try to keep track of the characters. There are like 10 of the same person. Anyway, so he, as a little boy, he's like playing chess. And we've seen we've seen him be like, are you coming to live with us forever? But he hasn't done anything shitty. He's and also like he's a child. a child. And he's like, playing chess and then uh edward who's hot and blonde is fencing and he like knocks over his chess set and, and he doesn't he, say sorry and he's like you were losing anyway and then he throws a chess piece at, at the child and that was the moment where i was like oh roland emmerich thinks that we're supposed to be charmed by this hot blonde man throwing things at a child yeah it's it's bizarre <laughs> because again it's like at that there point is in the no movie, save the cat still moment clear that this is our protagonist. Yep. It's not until another like third in that they start trying to make everybody a little complicated. Um, so yeah. So then he goes happens, to his room, and then he goes to his room, which I guess is a few days later or a few weeks later. And we see that someone was trying to steal his poetry, uh-huh. and like heard him come in and hides behind the curtains. Yeah, and he's still holding his fencing sword, so he sees that. Someone has been stealing stuff yeah. and he sees the feet poking out under the curtains and he has a Hamlet and Polonius moment where he just stabs the yeah. curtains and he kills this young person who I thought was the hunchback kid, but I guess was just <laughs> it a was servant. A it was just another, if you're a brunette in this movie, you're, you're going to die yeah. and you're evil. It's like the red shirts for Star Trek. Like you don't stand a chance. So he Death stabs the curtains and this person dies. And then the next scene is like daddy Rasputin being like, you killed, you murdered someone. I'm going to have to fix this. And he's like, he was trying to steal my poems, my poems of my life. I'm like, there is no world in which it's okay to kill someone because they read your diary. Like, the I, this movie presupposes that if someone steals a poem you wrote, you're allowed to kill them. Yeah, like that we're just not going to have a problem that's, with that. And that never comes back. Like, again, that is morality. something that the movie just thinks is okay. Yeah, so this, so... He uh, doesn't, like, grapple with his own guilt. Like, there's no part of him that's like, I murdered somebody. And then later in the hedges, he's, like, having more fencing, which I, at this point, was totally lost in the film. I was like, who is this person? Is this another fencing instructor? It, and it And then he kills that person. Too turns out that person was like sent by the evil people yeah, to they kill put him, a, a so hit on him. It's okay that he killed him. So okay, but so he murders so much this, murdering. So much, yeah, this is our hero, everybody. So he murders the guy trying to steal his poetry, and then Daddy Jafar slash Rasputin is like, "I'll make the murder charges go away if you marry my daughter." Um, and he's like, "No, she's like, not hot enough." Oh, your daughter, but she has brown hair and no speaking lines. Um, and so he marries the daughter, and the, this this is when we start my favorite uh, sub game of the movie, which is Daddy Jafar, who turns out to really be it's the, played by Professor Lupin. Played by Professor Lupin. <laughs> so Professor Lupin, who's the only character really who I started to be on his side, like he's clearly the villain, 
and he has the hunchbacked son, and we're supposed to be like, no, how dare you try to squash Edward's poetic soul? But really, he keeps, like, making suggestions that make the most political sense for England, and he also keeps walking into rooms to talk to Edward and being like, please, Edward, go back to my daughter, your wife, just, like, begging him to fuck his daughter. Yeah, it's <laughs> weird. Every scene. And, but anyway, and then, like, a scene later... Edward's at the court flirting yep. with the queen. And then he and again, we're queen. clearly supposed to be like, oh, good, his match. But instead we're like, you're married and you and Elizabeth, he, he's married. I think we're supposed to feel bad for him that he's like forced into marriage to avoid murder charges for a murder he definitely committed. But I don't feel bad for him because he murdered someone. Anyway, yes, so I, uh, he married. He, one uh, of the quotes at this point in the in the thing that I wrote down that Charlotte said is, "This is my burden of being hot and rich and a genius." <laughs> That's really the he. This is a character who overcomes nothing except that his adoptive parents aren't fully in support of his poetry pursuits, dreams. and also like. That's fine. You can write plays anyway, dude. It's okay. Anyway, so he hooks up with the queen. My poems are my soul. That's is an actual of, line, that's from the, line from the movie. From the film. He hooks up with the queen, and then the I don't know. The, she like the, then we we see Elizabeth's character revealed, which is she, that she's flighty and angry all the time. Well, it's frustrating because again, it's like I think that really Vanessa Redgrave is doing the very best she's she doing can the best in she this can. movie because she does give a couple of moments that I think were probably not written to even hold that much water, like more depth than they should. Yeah. yeah. But basically, she's like she sees him at the thing, and they have a tete a tete, mm-hmm. and then they fuck. And then he says something about Spain that offends her. And she, like, storms out of the room being like, fuck you, get out of here. And then he starts reciting a poem. Which one is it? It's a dumb one. He recites the song, I think it's a song from Twelfth Night, where it's uh, a trip no further, pretty sweeting, tr- oh, yeah, yeah. Events, or journey's end and lover's meeting. And she is so turned on that I think she starts going down on him right then as he's reciting the poem. Yeah, still. she starts sucking his dick as he's reciting this poem. Which and- is so uncomfortable and also like doesn't fix the fact that he did offend her about... <laughs> politics oh anyway God. and so, so then it's implied that she's totally in his thrall forevermore um, she wants to marry him and Rasputin will let her and then she's pregnant with his child and Rasputin will let her and Rasputin is like you have to go away to the countryside and give birth to the baby and then we'll like put the baby up for adoption but we'll make sure it gets adopted by a rich um yeah oh also at this point in like the current timeline again there are like four timelines and none of them make sense but in like the main timeline of the earl of oxford uh having his plays put on under shakespeare's name oh because that starts happening and they're, they're all really popular yay um in that timeline it's like the queen is such an old she's gonna die soon who should uh be the heir, be the heir because she had no children um, and so Rasputin wants King James to be the heir, I guess. So I guess he wins. I guess, which he wins. I mean, he dies halfway through and then his hunchback son is the villain, even though, again, all he's really done is exist and slouch a little bit and not like plays. Um, but fine. And, but everyone wants this guy Essex, who's one of the three blonde dukes, or earls, sorry, in this movie. One of them, I think, is strawberry blonde. One of them, sure. <laughs> uh, so Essex... They like send him to war. Doesn't none of it matters. They try to kill him. None of it matters. Um, it's also like this movie tries to do some Game of Thrones like mm, political intrigue halfway through, but it's and mm, incest. Mm, mm. Well, well, we'll get there. Uh, so the earls of Southampton and Essex both want Essex to be the next king because everyone thinks that Essex is Elizabeth's secret bastard son. 
Um, sure. This is also like we're getting into back into territory where real Oxfordians really believe that this is a thing that happened. Mm-hmm. So they're doing his plays. They're doing his plays. Basically, we can jump ahead. God, <laughs> this is all just exhausting. There's just a lot of middle where, movie. Again, it's like Ben Johnson is jealous and also upset because Shakespeare's taking credit for something he didn't do. Shakespeare is getting too big for his britches and he blackmails the the Earl for more money. Oh, also, which Chris- is also weird because we established like the the Earl's mean, horrible brunette wife comes in <laughs> and she's like, "Your daughter needs a dowry." And without looking up from writing, he's like, "Ugh, give her." a hundred pounds which even I a person watching him like that's not enough and some piece of property and then she sends the daughter out of the room and she's like why did you squander all of our fortunes and you're writing again and he has this whole explosion oh, yeah. where he's like I hear voices and if I don't write them they uh, they subsume me consume me so basically oh. it's just a quick moment where he's like Shakespeare's a schizophrenic I'm a, well, well, meaning the, the Earl of Oxford. Oxford is, he's like, I hear voices, and that's why I'm so good at playwriting. Yeah, and never also, comes back. And again, the woman's like, stop writing. And I'm like, I guess this is the only reason I can think of for her to be so not on board is that you're literally straight crazy. Also, why does writing plays mean that you have to have totally neglected your estate? Also, you're a terrible father. Anyway, a few scenes later, Shakespeare comes in. And he's like, I need 400 pounds a year till I die. And he's like granted so it's like yeah. oh, also you're just like a really bad dad also again we have established zero consequences for if the earl were to put these plays out under his own name except that it would be embarrassing because plays are for pores and we know he's doing worse but it clear again clearly he still has enough to give shakespeare 400 pounds a year so how bad are you doing well, you live in a castle also one of the my okay my two favorite lines are uh one, when Ben Johnson, he goes to the Earl and he's like, so I'm not going to take credit, but this guy Shakespeare will. Um, and the Earl gets furious and he's like, an actor? Which, rude. So, I mean, I get actor, that, like, rude. yes, being an actor at the time was, like, very, uh, you know, low class and the same but as, being like, a being playwright a wasn't that much better. But also, like, you're a playwright, my guy. Like, the fact that the Earl of Oxford, not only, like, he can't come out and write his plays because what would people think, but also he thinks that plays are bad and pores are bad. It's like, this and is our hero. actors are bad. And then actors are bad. You're a playwright, but um, you hate actors. Confusing. And then the other best scene is And Chris- he has these scenes where it's, he's also, again, that, like, complicated weirdness of people who hate poor people where he's like, when I do my plays in the court, they just sit there, but when I watch them, the commoners smile and laugh and cheer. <laughs> They're so simple. You know what the I mean? Simple like, commoners. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, also, Christopher Marlowe, like, finds out that Shakespeare's not writing his own plays and then gets murdered i guess by shakespeare is the implication and this is the part of the movie where the movie realizes that we like shakespeare too much and they start really trying in earnest but it also has the best line in the whole film is ben johnson like comes and finds christopher marlowe's body and there are already people around it being like that's the body of the playwright kit marlowe and just this one extra who's like a scraggly (laughs) old cockney peasant <laughs> is like yeah that looks like Marlo was murdered and then as the camera pans away he says and now my tooth hurts and never explained <laughs> best moment of the movie best moment of the movie so Marlo gets murdered yes and um oh and we're seeing like a montage of of Shakespeare plays but secretly by Oxford being performed and Shakespeare bowing after all of them and people being like we love Shakespeare but the play, like, it's so clear that this movie is made by people who 
I mean, maybe they like Shakespeare, but they certainly don't have like a very robust knowledge of all of his plays because it's only the bangers. And then like, literally they show the scene in Julius Caesar where Caesar gets stabbed and then they all come out and bow at the end of that, a scene that is halfway through the play. Yeah, if that. It's act two out of five. <laughs> oh my God. Oh. Um, yeah, okay. So then in like the past plot, we find out yeah, I'm so lost. You know, sorry. <laughs> so in the past plot, we find out that the Earl of Oxford, after he impregnated Queen Elizabeth and she went off and had the baby, oh, yeah. he is he had an affair out. with another woman who we never find out who she is never other than she that is. she has to leave soon. Also, girl, I don't know who you are, but you deserve better. Because basically, they fuck. She's like, I have to leave soon, but this is great. And then literally, they finish fucking. He gets up and he starts writing without even looking at her. And her response is to be like, oh, exposition about the queen. Well, yeah, she's like... Something about the queen. He's like, I love her. Or no, she's like, she still loves you. And he's like, no, she doesn't. She's like, yes, she does. Girl, why are you trying to convince the guy you're sleeping with that his ex is still into him? And then, girl, you deserve better. And then that girl is like, oh, didn't you know the queen had your baby? And he's like, what? And, and why it's, does and she it's like, know this? Why do you all women know that, know random woman? Also, I guess she's supposed to like kind of look like the queen because she also has reddish hair. Again, if you're blonde or have reddish hair in this movie, you're hot and good um, and rich. <laughs> and if you're brunette, you're a Puritan. <laughs> if you're a brunette, you're a Puritan. If you're a blonde, you're a hero. And if you're a redhead, you're a slut. Yes, That's exactly. <laughs> That's works. the triumvirate. And there are, uh, there no are two non- redheaded women. And no non-white people in the whole movie. Nope. Nope. Even though there were definitely non-white people in England, uh, some of which Shakespeare would have known. Like the Duck Lady Sonnets doesn't matter. Anyway, um, what well, does matter, but it's not relevant to Roland Emmerich's Well, again, vision. that's the other piece of, I'm just going to jump ahead, of this like crazy Oxfordian theory that's insane. Yeah. Is that, again, the scene that I've already alluded to, we're on his deathbed. He's like, did you even like my plays? And Ben Johnson's like, I loved them more than anything. Oh, no, because this involves the reveal. I'll get back yep. there in a second. Okay, we'll, we'll wait. Okay, so um, he has one secret bastard baby with Queen Elizabeth and then he finds out from again Jafar daddy shows up and is like please please go fuck my daughter like please stop sleeping around I hid the baby he's gonna be raised by rich people don't worry he'll be a rich and he'll be blonde because (laughs) of recessive genes Um, but he, he gets it out of him that his baby is the Earl of Southampton um, who historically was the like hot young Earl who Shakespeare dedicated a number of his poems and sonnets to. So really this, it becomes evident that this movie's whole purpose is just a big old no homo. Exactly. That's what I was about to say is then, then Ben Johnson looks down at this like stack of manuscripts that uh, the Earl has handed him. Um, and at the top of it, it says like to Southampton, who I love, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But which it also makes the whole Oxfordian theory very no homo, where it's like basically if you're an Oxfordian, it's because you're afraid of poor people and gay people. You're afraid of poor and gay people. Yeah, because uh, th- there is a lot of question about who Shakespeare was sleeping with other than his wife. Probably a couple of people. Did he have a sexual relationship with the Earl of Southampton or were they just buds? We don't know. Um, but yeah, so in this version, the, Southampton is the Earl of Oxford's son and Essex is just another random Elizabeth bastard because this fucking queen is pumping out bastards left and right and no one is noticing. It, like, Honestly, just, this was so much of my problem with this film. Just, it's like... Elizabeth is this badass queen who is such an amazing, like, 
legacy. And even if you just want to keep it to her relationship with Shakespeare, like she was well known for liking his plays. She mm-hmm. particularly liked Falstaff. Mm-hmm. That's basically why Mary with Wives of Windsor was written. Allegedly, yeah. Like, you know, she's... But even the, like, virgin queen thing, I'm here for your theories that she's not a virgin. Sure. I think that's badass. But, like, the idea that all she ever cared about was sleeping around and that she would have managed to have, like, seven <laughs> bastards without anyone noticing. So... She was the only monarch. Like, if what she are you... leaves for nine months, you're gonna... The know... court goes like, with her. Like, also, there would have been records. Like, when Bloody Mary had a stomach tumor because her, her stomach became enlarged, people, she like... She had a hysterical pregnancy. Yeah. People, like, freaked the fuck out and thinking she was pregnant. And we know about this many years later. So, so it's like, people would have no... It w- no one would have been able to hide it. Yeah, it would have... We would know <laughs> about it the same we, way no one yeah. would have been able to hide if the earl of oxford was writing because again it, charlotte turned to me and she's like do you think it's just that they don't understand that women have children differently than it's not men? like a man where you can just like have a bastard that happens somewhere else if you're someone who has a uterus it's you usually you would know if you have a kid yeah you but have this to movie know. presupposes that you could just have a bunch of bastards well and also this idea of like her only qualities being her own like vanity as well like there's a point later in the later flashbacks when she's an old where they're like you you'll never be able to send elizabeth a letter to tell her that you're on her way and he's like i will send her a book so he basically has an entire book published which is venus and adonis the poem um which he's like she'll know that it's me only i could possibly have written such a great poem (laughs) and she i guess maybe we're supposed to assume it's stuff that he used to say to her because she reads it and she's like oh it me i used to be hot that's when i was good I mean, also, to be fair, she's also senile in this movie, but all, the only part she seems to... I'm also like, who's running the kingdom? If she's so senile, she's like getting naked watching him play. Also, the scene in the flashback when she's like, I am with child, with the Earl of Oxford's child, and Jafar's like, we need to shut this shit down. Um, and he's like, you, she's like, I'm gonna marry him. And he's like, no, you can't. It's really important politically that you don't just marry some random earl because you need to either marry, like, a foreign monarch or stay unmarried so that people won't attack us because they hope that they can marry you. And she just screams, but I love him! And it's like, oh boy. Okay, so this is your take on Queen Elizabeth. Also, so Oxford, he has the baby, Southampton baby, with Queen Elizabeth, who's raised, doesn't know who his parents is. And then they're like, oh, you also had a baby with that random chick who wasn't your wife who you were banging and never followed up on. He doesn't care because that's his poor baby and he only cares about his fancy baby. I thought that both of the sons that we then are running around with in the last third of the movie were his sons and one was from Elizabeth and one wasn't. I'm not saying that that's the movie. I'm just saying that's how confusing this movie was. Danielle and I had a full on argument um, over our poor roommate Chris who was watching half of the movie with us where we were just like trying to figure out who Essex was halfway (laughs) through this movie. The guy who they want to be the king oh god so like things start coming so to stark a, yeah yeah so things start coming to a head essex are i guess he's more of a john snow since he's a bastard but essex i guess knows that he's the queen's bastard but southampton doesn't who can fucking keep track they're both like they've been sent off to ireland by mean jafar daddy so who the, tries to hopefully get killed but they don't get killed kill them a la uh some random extra trying to, shoot him. <laughs> trying to you know trying to kill daenerys it's like that anyway mm-hmm. game of thrones remember that uh so they come back 
And then um, because Southampton is Oxford's fancy baby, so he cares about him, he's like, oh no, I have to write a play so that people know this hunchback guy is evil. Well, also they're like, we just want to go talk to Elizabeth and be like, here's why we should secede you. Um, not secede, is that Suc- the word? Succeed. Succeed you. Yeah, um, instead of James. Which also, as a viewer, I'm like, no, it shouldn't be some random Earl who you can't prove his parentage People aren't going to be down with that. That's a bad political decision. So, again, we're rooting for Lucius Malfoy in this movie. So, it's all bad. Anyway, so, they're like, we're going to go talk to them. And the Earl is like, I'll write a play so that everyone hates hunchbacks. And they'll all go with you and she'll see that you have the will of the people. One of the three blonde Earls. But it totally backfires because, like, the he does rouse the rabble, but then they think that they're being attacked, and the hunchback is able to skew it so that it instead looks like they're attacking the castle. Yeah, and so this is they, the historical Essex Rebellion, which was a thing that happened. So then they arrest the blonde kids, the, the teens. Two the, out of three blonde earls. Also... The Earl of Oxford's whole thing is like, oh, I'm going to write this play, Richard III, the, one of the two plays that I haven't already written as a brilliant Anakin little boy. Um, and he does, but then like all these poor people who, his audience who have been roused get shot by the, the English Gestapo. Which we're not supposed to care about at all. Which we're not supposed to care about because they're poors. But it, yeah, they have a moment where like the Earl's manservant is shot, his like Italian butler, <laughs> yes. and it's like... Ben Johnson is like, Francesco, no! And we're like, are we supposed to know this character's name? Um, But this movie literally shows the Earl like leading all these poor people to his death and to their death. And we're supposed to be like, yeah, go you, Earl. Also, he has that amazing scene where he's like, as an Earl, I'm very rich, but I have no political power. And it's like, yeah, man. Well, no, and he's like, and I'm not rich anymore. Basically, he's like, I came to this thing with so much fucking money you wouldn't even believe. And I lost and it I all. And I lost it all. And we're Feel still, sorry for me. We're like, how? What did you Not do Not explain how he lost it? his money. You just were writing all the time? We <laughs> haven't seen you write at all, except for you turned out Richard III in a day. Us. Oh yeah, he writes Richard III in a day. But yeah, no, he has a whole, I guess we're supposed to be rooting for the Earls because it's not fair that the Earls are so hot and rich and yet don't have enough stake in government. And also, I guess every single Earl is a secret Elizabeth bastard. So anyway, they arrest the two blondes. And then they kill one of them. And the Oxford guy watches from a window. And then the hunchback comes in to give us the twist. Yes. Our, and this, honestly, the hero of the movie at this point, this hunchback character who Oxford has bullied publicly. Constantly. Constantly. Um, he, oh yeah, and there's a whole middle part where like they think Polonius from Hamlet is making fun of Jafar Daddy and it doesn't matter. It's not interesting. Um, but anyway, so this poor like Richard III character comes in and he's like, you are supposed to be the king. And we're like, what is happening? And so then he reveals to the Earl of Oxford that the Earl of Oxford is also one of Queen Elizabeth's bastards. So he was sleeping with his uh, mom. And also that, honestly... <laughs> so his son is a double bastard. And incest. And he also reveals that Loki, the Cecils, the, like, evil brunette, yeah. were working 
for his benefit the whole time. They were trying to. They had a whole plan where they were like, great, so we know your parentage, so we're going to keep it a he secret. He was Jon Snow the we're whole time. We're going to marry you to someone respectable like our daughter. We're going to wait for Queen Elizabeth to die. And then we're going to lay claim to the throne for you so that you can be the king. And you fucked it all up. It does feel like they maybe should have told him at some point. He's like, <laughs> also, you just were an asshole. We hated you. Yeah, he's like, it would have worked if you weren't you. And I'm like, honestly, same. This, it, also, I, I don't I, want that guy to be the king. I don't want him to be the king. This guy who murdered someone and then screamed the line, poetry is my soul. Yeah, that's not a balanced king. Also, how are you going to prove this? This always confuses me in movies where they're like, you're really a bastard of the king and therefore you will take the throne. And it's like, yeah, how are you going to prove that though? Because it's like olden times. There's no 23 and me. Anyway, so he goes and tells Queen Elizabeth not to murder their son, and she's like, and he never tells her that he's also her son. Which, like, thank God, that poor woman's been through enough. He just kisses her hand. There's a moment where you're like, is she going to go in for a kiss? Is he going to kiss her even though he knows she's his mom? And then <laughs> the answer is no, he just kisses her hand in kind of a sensual way, but it's okay. Yeah, and he is like, don't kill our son, and she's like, okay, but... Your name can never be on any of your plays. And he's like, oh no, this is the sacrifice I'm making. But like, you've spent the whole movie trying to keep your name off those plays. the whole movie being like, I don't want my name on my plays. And then at the end, she's like, your name can't be on your plays. And it's like, yeah, that's been his only motivation. And so then we get your favorite deathbed scene. Yes, the deathbed scene that I've already mentioned many times. So basically, yeah, Ben Johnson comes in. He's like, did you even like my plays? And Ben Johnson's like, they're my favorite thing. And then he leaves and then he sees the note to his to the Southampton. So we know he's his son, so no homo. Um, and then he leaves. And again, and then I guess at that point, we're pretty much in the present. So Ben Johnson gets chased yep. so they can get the manuscripts. Yep. And then we're to the torture scene where he's like, I don't even know what a manuscript is. Um, and then <laughs> he goes to the globe, which has been burned. And he sees that in his Indiana Jones refrigerator-esque <laughs> chest, right? There's he like, hid the flammable paper in a wooden chest. And they didn't burn Amazing. because of the magic of Shakespeare. Uh, so we have them, which is also weird because one of the only things that they say at the beginning to set up, like, could Shakespeare even be Shakespeare is Derek, our old pal Derek, um, Derek J Mm -hmm. is like, also, we never found the manuscripts. Where are the manuscripts? So I was like expecting them to burn and that would be the, but no, we found them. They're there. I guess just Ben Johnson hid them forever. Just like to be a boring historian, the ways that plays were written is they would literally cut up the manuscript to give everyone their own line. You would just have your line and the cue line. So so that's where the manuscripts are. Yeah, just like <laughs> they were scrolls. they were cut up for the actors to learn and then later the plays were published mostly after being written down from memory in the quartos and then finally the folio, which like Ben Johnson did uh collect the man- Shakespeare's manuscripts and put them in a folio because he was friends with Shakespeare. Oh, my other favorite line was uh when everyone's freaking out because of Richard the Third. Shakespeare, who in this movie, again, is a, just a very charismatic drunk, just goes, oh, back to Stratford, and just, like, leaves the movie forever. <laughs> Which also, uh, you know, of course... Yeah, and so there are locks for dives, and then we go back to Derek Jacobi. Oh, wait, my, oh, my sorry. favorite go quote ahead. from Charlotte yeah, is yeah. when he opens the chest and the things were fine. Charlotte said, his plays are not burned because they're Targaryens. Yes, <laughs> it's true. 
Yeah, and then um, Derek Jacoby is like, and now you know the rest of the story, and then no one applauds, and the movie is... Oh, wait, also, I was looking at the Wikipedia page after the movie ended as we sat there in shock and horror, Yes, and it said that... um, So all of this stuff of, like, everyone being a secret incest double bastard is all... Not every Oxfordian believes this, but, like... Some of them do. Also, the guy who invented the Oxford theory, his last name was literally Looney. Can't make this up. Um, and apparently, the scene where Richard the Third guy tells Oxford that he's Elizabeth's son and therefore did, pulled, did an, an Oedipus, um, the screenwriter begged Roland not to put it in the movie. And Roland did anyway. I just love the imagery of like, please, Roland, no, it's too stupid. And yet, that's the movie that's the movie we got. Yeah. What a film. Guys, thank you for hanging in with us. Basically, I would say at this point you could have watched it, but you can't because it's also two hours and 11 minutes. It's the longest movie. It's so long. (laughs) And there's so much flashing back and forward and people who all look the same because they're all just like white and brunette. Anyway, it's it's a lot. Charlotte, is there anything else about the Oxfordian theory that you want us to know as a theory? Um, it's... It's bad. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I just think, I don't know. I mean, I guess people get into conspiracy theories because they like to feel like they've uncovered some kind of secret special truth or because they are mad about about something. Um, But this is one of the dumber ones. Like, if you're going to have a Shakespeare conspiracy theory, at least make it fun. There's one that, like, he was Queen Elizabeth, which that one I think is the most fun. It's not true, but it's fun. Totally fun. The Oxford one, like, the Earl of Oxford just seems like a big old douche nozzle in this movie, at least. And I don't know what the real Earl was like, but even in most, like, Oxfordian writing, they're like, oh, because... The Earl of Oxford had a real Hamlet slash Bertram from Allswell vibe. And it's like, oh, so he was a big jerk? Great. Um, yeah. So it's really just straight up snobbery. I, yeah. I don't, there's no compelling evidence. There are people point to like similarities between uh, Oxford's life and stuff that happens in Shakespeare's plays because he um, was briefly kidnapped like Hamlet. But that's just because he was a rich and they wanted to ransom him. And because his father died and then his mother remarried, which again, just kind of is a thing that can happen in a life. Um, yeah, so it, it's it's pretty... Yeah, there's nothing about it that's more one-to-one than Shakespeare's own life. Yeah. Again, Hamnet. And this movie is a pretty perfect distillation of the Oxford theory, I think, because it hates poor people with such a vengeance. It's such a hateful movie. Like, yeah, and like like you pointed out, the Earl of Oxford himself is constantly being like, but when the poor people watch my plays, they jump and they clap and they dance about. And then he's also at the same time like, an actor disgusting. Or like, I will use the poor people as cannon fodder to fight my proxy war against this man who I've bullied for having a spinal dis- deformity. It's just it's so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. It's so rude. Poor Ben Johnson. The whole scene where Ben Johnson has to like grovel in front of him at the end and be like, you were right for trying to bully me this whole movie is so gross. And I'm not even a big Ben Johnson fan. Exactly. It's also weird because it's like we all know Shakespeare and like whether you know Shakespeare really well or you just know of Shakespeare, we all know that we're at least supposed to think he's a genius. So there's this weird like 
because this character wrote the Shakespeare plays, you kind of can't argue with, I guess he's a genius, but then also there's no showing, like there's nothing else about <laughs> this character. <laughs> smart or redeemable. That is exactly, that is sparkling or witty or beautiful. And I think that in itself is almost a problem because it's like, well, we can't argue with him being a genius if he wrote these plays, but also... Well, even that, they're like, well, he wrote the plays because he hears voices in his head. Um, And it's also, what's really amazing to me about this movie is how their drunken, uh, just kind of like wastrel caricature of William Shakespeare is still the most likable character. Yeah, because again, at least he has a clear motivation he's like i'm just here for a good time not a long time he's fun it's also like we're supposed to think the earl of oxford wrote all those dick jokes yeah he's so stuffy he's so stuffy it's really a movie for people who think that you can only be talented if your family is very rich going back many generations and that you have lots of education yeah and this i mean you'd have to be pretty You'd have to be pretty far gone to see anything in this movie and be like, ah, of course, much more plausible than a middle class actor from Stratford writing a bunch of good plays. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry that it's not more exciting. I'm sorry that Shakespeare wasn't richer or fancier, but like, that's that's, that's the guy. Yep. It is just so damaging to have a conspiracy theory that's predicated on like, well, of course, poor people can't write. Yeah, the one small thing about this movie, I, I mean, it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. I, the movie itself presents itself as historical fiction. But, yeah. Um, but it also doesn't. Like, <laughs> the vibe of the movie is so, like, this is what really happened. It was so much sexier and more interesting. And it does make me just a little sad that somebody watched this movie and was like, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Good to know. Oh, absolutely. Someone did. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think that bums me out a little bit, even though when you you look it up, it doesn't, you know. Yeah. Claim. Yeah. One of my, in a pre-release interview, scriptwriter Orloff said that uh, with the exception of whether Shakespeare wrote the plays or not, the movie is unbelievably historically, (laughs) or is unbelievably historically accurate. What I mean by that is that I, like Henry James, Mark Twain, Walt Whitman, Derek Jacobi, and John, somebody else, um, don't think Shakespeare wrote the plays, but obviously a lot more people do think Shakespeare wrote the plays. Obviously in my movie, he didn't. So a lot of people will say that it's not historically accurate and they are totally welcome to that opinion. But the world within the movie that that story takes place in is incredibly accurate, like the Essex Revolution and the ages of the characters. (laughs) Which is crazy because then three lines later on this like Wikipedia page, it says, the death of Christopher Marlowe plays a small but significant role in the storyline. Marlowe is portrayed alive in 1598 when he fact died in 1593. (laughs) Like it's just like so much. I mean, there are other points where Orloff says things that are more reasonable, but I found that quote on Wikipedia and just had to share it. That, like, there is somebody that's like, uh, well. Which, I'm, and I'm sad for them, because, like, obviously, there are... Emmerich lists ten reasons why... Sorry, Mm. continue. Oh, no, go ahead. Uh, no, I thought that was going to be more fun than it was. (laughs) Um, Emmerich is on record believing that everybody in the Stratfordian side is so pissed off because we've called them on their lies. Their lies. Just, like, what? It's just, it's the, it's... One of the most boring conspiracy theories. I mean, once you get into well, all Well, because the... it makes it less interesting. Yeah. Instead of, like, it's actually kind of a more interesting underdog theory of, like, yeah, this guy with, like, 
also an eighth grade education at the time meant more than it does now. Yeah. But like, but also isn't it more like, fun to believe that this guy who's just like a guy, like was also a genius instead of like yeah. trying to find weird ways to contort yourself into believing that somebody else did it. Also, again, I'm here for, I'm not really here for it, but like I'm, I'm down to listen to your theory that he's lots of people, but the idea that he's just a different person is so wild. I'm not even down for the lots of people theory. I'm, I mean, I'm down. I'm to- not down for it. It's not my theory, but I can at least understand why someone would want to believe that. It's like being intimidated. I guess. But it, yeah, it's just it's. Ugh. It's all it, gross. Shakespeare wrote his plays. Get out of here. Shakespeare wrote his plays. It's so rude. <laughs> <laughs> it's just rude. It's just like, it's so hateful. Also, there's plenty of evidence that he wrote his plays. You know what I mean? It's not like... It's well, not a mystery. Exactly. There's no like, well, there's no evidence that Shakespeare even existed. No, we have his will. Like, we yeah. know where he lived. We know who his kids were. Like, yeah. Well, he's not, we know his life. He's not a figure like Homer where we don't really know who he is. He yeah. He's a historical person who existed. Yeah. that's. I think that's why the theories are so crazy is it's like, it's... It's not like it was that far back. We do have records of lives. Anyway. So Shakespeare wrote his own plays. And if you want to watch a really exhausting movie, we recommend Anonymous. (sighs) If you want to see Lucius Malfoy finally have his day in court. Yes. And spoiler alert, he still sucks. Thank you, everybody, for listening to our podcast about the movie Anonymous. This is Charlotte, all alone. I've been abandoned by Danielle. Here by my lonesome to tell you that you can email us at whatyouwillpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. I I guess just type what you will podcast into Facebook. We're there somewhere. Uh, We're on Instagram. I feel like our handle is probably whatyouwillpodcast underscore podcast something like that it's close to that if it's not that and uh we're also on twitter we have like two followers so you know an an up-and-coming twitter account um and that's gonna be at what you will cast on twitter those are all our fancy social media handles uh please tell your friends about this dumb podcast where we're mean about Roland Emmerich movies and um, yell at Oxfordians. And if you're an Oxfordian, you know what you did. Bye, everybody.